I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson, back with you. It's the, is this like our first off-season edition, Sam? Uh, Even though there's a Super Bowl to be played? Yeah, I guess. That makes sense. Sure. Let's go with uh, it. Off-season, off-season for most. Uh, once again, I'm, I'm remote and you're back in the office and I see you told me you have a special treat there. Yeah, well, you, the, uh, show today. you have avoided the, the forfeit that I carefully arranged for both of us. Um, now, look, you can still do it anytime you want. I have another bag of these things in the lockers behind me right over here. Uh, but I have sourced a, a lovely uh, bag of what I believe is Carolina Reaper jerky, uh, which comes covered in all kinds of warning labels. At the back here, we've got warning, extreme heat, avoid contact with eyes in sensitive areas. Up here, we've got, this is carne seca. Behold the flavor of death. Air-dried beef, oh. seasoned to melt your face off. Uh, and then mucho sabor, whatever that means. You did Spanish, what does that mean? Very hot, yeah. I think. Well, there you go. Very, uh, take care, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> so anyway. Five years AP Spanish, and uh, yeah, I've forgotten too yeah, much. Yeah, it served you well, you can tell. Um, so there's a bag of this stuff. I, I think I will eat some of this to thank the people for the money that they donated to the Tornado Relief Fund in Kentucky. Um, we're now up, by the way, sort of in total of these things. What have we done? Five drives now. We're up around $15,000 because of all you awesome people. So thank you so much for that. This will be the thing to kind of get a square for that one. And then we'll do our uh, the dueling charity drive suggestion. I like the idea of that. So maybe... To start of next week, we'll set. We'll start that up, right? Each of us come up with the the charity that we're going to raise thing and the the forfeit that we're going to raise for. Um, but we still need ideas. So email us ideas to uh, what is it? NFL Podcast at pff.com. NFL Podcast singular at pff.com, or you can uh, message or DM the Twitter account as well, which is at pff NFL Pod. Either way, send us some ideas for charities you would like to see us donate to and the forfeits that you would like to see us do. Yeah, appreciate everybody for, uh, for all the donations, and uh, this is great. I'm just stalling for time now because <laughs> it's, now I have to eat the really hot thing. Oh, yeah, I'm waiting. Let's, you want let's me to go? go? So you may need to, you know, vamp Never for a while back. because this could, this could be problematic. What do you anticipate here when you take I mean, this? I, so... I've never had a Carolina Reaper uh, pepper, like a chili. Like, uh, they're supposedly the hottest ones in the world, right? There's a sort of debate as to what exactly is the hottest. You know, they, they all vary. There's, there's arguments at the top, Steve, in the, the chili-growing world. There's some real controversy here. But oh, the Carolina really? Reaper, I think, is generally ex- supposed to be the hottest you can get. I've never eaten one. Um, I've eaten other things. 
But yeah, I mean, so in theory, this will be this will be really hot. <laughs> You're not so that we're live. Yeah, we're live on YouTube. You're gonna eat this pepper. Yes. Well, the, yeah, this isn't going to like send you to the hospital or anything, right? I mean, God, I hope not. I've got, I've got a, a milkshake here that's that should take the edge off, but I have some, some tissues because I suspect you know, this streaming will happen, uh, and that's about it. You know, I'm not doing this if it goes poorly. By the way, no, I mean if I get hospitalized, I think you are well within your rights to not do it. Thank you. Anything it's short good of that, we might though. stagger it though, because if we both did this at the same time, the whole show just fell apart. You know. Well, that's why, yeah, it would make, I would have done it one after the other. Anyway, right, let's, here's a, a fistful of this stuff. Welcome. A fistful of it? You didn't just take like a little bite? How's this compares to um, St. Elmo's? The, uh, the cocktail yeah. sauce. That's not hot, though. It's, just, it's like horseradish. It's All right. It's aggressive. Now we're starting to kick in. Ah, grab the milkshake. We're not, you not going to the milkshake too quickly. We're not at the milkshake yet, I don't think. Oh, you swallow yeah. any yet? What's it feel on your throat? You're going back for more. It's actually not bad. <laughs> so it tastes good. Well, it tastes good, but the burning is now commencing. You know, it's a delayed thing. Yeah. It does taste pretty good. So are there people out there that, that think this just tastes good and it's not that hot and it's cool? I think so. They yeah. like it. Gotcha. It's an acquired burn. That legitimately isn't bad. Now, look, the burn's starting, but if it doesn't get any worse than this, that actually wasn't a problem. Now, I'm hungry. I'm looking forward to some Carolina Reaper mm. jerky. Now, as I say that, it's getting quite a lot worse than it was. Ah, so now's the time. Yeah. So what are we chatting about today? <laughs> um. We know. had some interesting emails yes. that are going to fuel this show yeah, yeah. Uh, involving analytics in play design and uh, how analy analytics are used in the NFL. The differences in, say, a number one versus a number two wide receiver. You should have had that open before. There you go. Going to the milkshake. Uh, and, of course, always some draft discussion. Tomorrow, tomorrow's show, by the way, your mock draft. Yeah. That's the big key here. We're going to go through your mock draft, pick by pick. We'll tear it all apart. It's over at pff.com right now, but for us, it's all about discussing it tomorrow. All right, before we get into anything more specific, the moment we've been waiting for since September, it's finally here in honor of the big game. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. You bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. The sportsbook isn't yet available in your state. Play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code PFF, get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code PFF, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. you got to be 21 or older. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. Getting better and better hmm. every single time out. How are you feeling now? So it's, it's definitely burning. Like, you know, you're acutely aware that you've just eaten something pretty hot, but it's not, 
That's not bad. Like, you know, it's not worse than like just eating something regularly spicy and hot. Like, I would eat that. I would eat that whole bag. I wouldn't have a problem with that. That's not, that's not the level of pain and problem, problems that I was expecting. Oh, good. So, so maybe the punishment wasn't all that bad. Maybe yeah, you might else. survive that. I mean, you're not a, you're not a big spicy person. No. I think, I think you'd be okay not. with that. I like uh, spicy V8. What? Anyway. All right. So let's get into some of these emails, Sam. Do you have those up? Yeah. But sorry, by the way, for anyone that was like genuinely anticipating pain and suffering. That just that just wasn't that bad. Yeah, I'm <laughs> one of those do? people. Yeah. I, so was I. I was kind of thinking that would that would really suck. But actually, that's actually that's quite a nice food stuff. I would eat some of that. Um, all right. So we had an absolute ton of emails come in. We, I've never seen the, the level of response that we got for overtime rules, right? After me pointing out that I hated that, you know, that we just didn't want to spend longer than 30 seconds talking about them. So many people emailed in overtime suggestions, and I still don't care. I, I still I, I don't want to talk about it. But the one that I did see emailed in that I thought was kind of interesting, or at least I haven't necessarily seen before, um, Somebody sent a guy called Timothy Woodhams sent in a suggestion that said uh, overtime. The simplest solution to him seems to be that overtime ends when a team that has the lead gets the ball. Right. So if you have both possession and the lead, you win. I like that. I think that's really quite simple and elegant and solves all the problems. So you can keep trading scores. So it's essentially as soon so as if you get a stop and you have the lead and you get the ball yeah. back, you win. So you still have to play defense. There's still the chance for everybody to answer every score. And then the second somebody gets a stop, game. I kind of like that. Right? I like that one. I've never seen that suggested I, anywhere else. I think that's a good. You a good didn't call. like the soccer one, the yeah, soccer analogy, right? Where you just kind of keep playing. Oh, I hate you that. Know, you play through the quarters. No, I hate that. That's the one I hate the most. Really? You hate that the most? I hate, well, maybe not the most, but I hate that a lot. Yeah, I kind of like that. Yeah, so the team that has the lead gets the ball back. I don't like it in soccer either. Like, it's when soccer, when you reach the end of regulation soccer, I, you should go straight to penalties every time. To hell with this 30 minutes of extra time stuff. Don't want to see it. So yeah, anyway. I, don't wanna, I don't like when you change. Like, soccer is cool. Like penalty kicks are cool. I would never, my least favorite thing is any sort of like two point conversion off type of deal, right? Like I, I, I hate the shootout equivalent for football, hockey. It's cool. Uh, soccer. It's cool. The, the, the idea that I hate the most is taking the game of football and like putting it into just like this little, little piece, right. Where you just do two point conversions or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I don't hate that. Um, so anyway, we had an absolute ton of emails of people suggesting overtime solutions. That was, I think, an interesting one. Somebody also, remember we said that the NFC West was weird in terms of each team, um, each team like winning against one team and then losing against everybody else. Uh, somebody actually looked up the numbers for us and did the math, which I think is pretty interesting. 2017 to 2021, the Rams are 18 and four against the Seahawks and Cardinals and three and seven against the Niners. I think that was before the NFC Championship game, so it would be 4-7. and seven. Um, The Seahawks are 14-6 and six against the Cardinals and the Niners, but 3-8 and eight versus the Rams. The Cardinals are 7-3 and three versus the Niners, and 5-16 and 16 against the Rams and the Seahawks. The Niners are 7-3 versus the Rams, and 5-15 and 15 versus the Niners and the Cardinals. 
So that division is like rock, paper, scissors. Like one team beats somebody else but can't beat the other two. How is that? What, what's the reasoning? I don't think that? there is just a reason. Matchups? I think it's just weird, freakish uh, occurrences that have happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, uh, that we always try to explain it away, right? Like the idea that the 49, uh, Kyle Shanahan yeah. has McFace number and all that stuff. Is it just, obviously it didn't matter this past weekend, but is it just, it's just odd, right? It's just an oddball type of deal? I think so. That was, so that was from Nathan uh, Partlow that came up with those, the, that research. So, uh, yeah, it's weird. We're going to have Tyler come in and try this jerky in case I'm just a weirdo and it doesn't affect me. Tyler oh, doesn't Tyler, like spicy things. So Tyler's going to give it a shot. Is this okay right here? Yeah, yeah, dive in. Yeah, get in there, Tyler. Just, you're just going to have a little bit, or are you going with a full <laughs> handful like Sam? Like he doesn't want a full handful. He just wants to, you know. Just, I'll do like a fair just, amount. Yeah, yeah. Just grab in. You guys are bold. You guys are very bold. No, right away. What? No. Oh, my. Oh, see, that'd be my reaction. This that'd be me. <laughs> yeah, maybe you are just weird, Sam. I was getting, like, nothing until... Whatever, 30 why seconds into like, it. Why do you like this? What's the problem? What's the taste? Death, apparently. Yeah, hot. I agree. Taste right, is maybe, hot. Maybe it's just me then. Mm-mm. This is bad. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> oh, this is great podcasting. The people are loving this. I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it doesn't tell you. Just have some of the milkshake. It's <laughs> not good. Do you have something to I drink, Tyler? No, he doesn't have a milkshake. <laughs> and we can't share it either because of COVID protocol, <laughs> so he's pretty much screwed. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. You're you're not really Irish then. Well, apparently it is pretty spicy, and I'm I. My bad. Um, no, I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. All right, what's next? I like that receiver question here. Yeah, all that? right. I mean, I take it back. The, the good people at whoever they are, Vacadillos. Uh, apparently the Reaper jerky is pretty hot. You were trashing the Carolina Reaper as if it was weak. I mean, it just, it, I, it, was, I, it was nice. I would eat that. Uh, yeah, all right. So we had, we had one question. Let me, let's do the analytics one first because uh, I think that will be quicker. Uh, hi, Sam and Steve. Discovered your podcast this past offseason and have been an avid listener since. A great deal of fuss is made about the use of analytics in the NFL and how that's affecting the game. From my vantage point, it seems like analytics is only really applied to coaching decision-making, i.e. when to go for a fourth down versus when to punt, etc. I think there's other aspects of the game the team should find could find an advantage in if they leverage analytics or AI or any sort of data-driven approach. For example, is anyone in or outside the NFL taking a data-driven approach to X's and O's, not just in terms of analyzing a play's value or efficiency, but in actually designing plays and game plans themselves? It seems to me that there's a ripe opportunity to use AI to analyze the 50 years of offensive plays and defensive schemes and try and spit out optimized play designs based on the historical training set. Maybe there's no replacing the offensive in the league, but it would be fascinating to see if computers can design better plays than Kyle Shanahan. Uh, since I know Sam won't read out this whole email on the podcast, now, to be fair, I did edit it for brevity. Uh, my question boils down to this. Is anyone in or outside the NFL taking a data-driven approach, perhaps AI, to designing offense and defensive plays? And are there any other aspects of the game that are any, yeah, other aspects of the game 
of professional football that haven't been touched by analytics, statistics, AI, big data that would stand to benefit from it. Thanks. Love the show from Connor Galvin. See, this sounds to me, Sam, like my idea, like the thing I was running on yeah. as future Bengals defensive coordinator. That's why I brought it up. I knew you like this. What's that? That's why I brought it up. I knew you'd like this. This is yeah, your, yeah. You know, I mean, this is what I was saying. Cover just the hot zones or whatever. Cover, cover the heat map, right? Cover where teams run their routes. So I think defensively, defensively, it's interesting. Um, offensively, I ha- I don't know if anybody's doing this to answer that question, right? I don't know if anybody's getting that granular with it, but I do think the way I've always thought of it was are there certain plays that better set up the next plays, right? And my feeling is a lot of it would probably get backed up and uh, it, it would back up intuition, right? Like the, uh, like the stick nod route, the stick nod is like a little five yard tight end turns around. Right. And then off of that, you fake the little five yard turn around and you take it up the seam stick and then nod. So like teams run that as a, uh, you know, after they run the stick over and over again, you run the stick nod, right? And so I imagine that that's what you would find is that certain, you know, you would find the things that intuitively you think set up the next thing. But I wonder, you know, maybe there's something different that we haven't even thought about offensively or different ways to run routes or different ways to flood zones against certain coverages. I mean, I think the one question, are teams doing this? Almost certainly some teams are doing some variety of this, whether it's PFF data, NGS stuff, like we are getting into the world where that kind of stuff is eminently possible. And there are teams out there that have a ton of smart guys on the, on the, the payroll doing things like this. So yeah, I would imagine absolutely there are teams already getting in there. Secondly, like PFF is, is chipping away at this as, as well, right? Like things that have been added to PFF ultimate in terms of, um, play concept, like route concepts, all those kinds of things. That's what lets you start getting into this stuff and start, you know, cross-checking those things, right? What does this uh, route concept look like versus this type of coverage and starting to quantify exactly what has success and what doesn't have success. And then, yeah, the, the next evolution of that would be, well, okay, these are the typical route concepts that work here. Is there anything else that could function against this kind of defense and this kind of scheme? So I think definitely this is one of the the newest frontiers. So we're obviously way less far along with teams uh, getting into this kind of thing than we are just, hey, here's the matrix of like when to go for it and fourth down and when not to. But it's definitely an area that teams are going to be getting into and exploring and generating an edge from. Yeah, the thing I so we have we even have, you know, again, internally metrics like how much does a linebacker bite on play action, right? How much does he move against, say, the the average linebacker? But I think the way that you would study that and again, I think there's some intuitive there's there's some intuition here that I think would be backed up stuff like outside zone, right on outside zone. And then the play action off of an outside zone play, which stretches the offense uh, defense vertically, uh, horizontally, you probably get more movement from the linebacker on play action, right? Just because it's, it's a longer developing play action. It's more lateral than vertical. So you probably get more displacement of defenders. So, but, but that would be the interesting stuff to study, right? If you had, 
here's hundreds of outside zone plays. How do the defenders move when they see an outside zone play? How much do they move? And then based off on where, where they move on the actual run play, is there a better way to design, say, the play action off of that? Or, or when you run power with a pulling guard, where, where are the holes in the defense when you do that? And then, again, run the, you know, alter your play action scheme off of that. And maybe there are, maybe there are, is a new route or two, or um, again, zone that gets attacked differently uh, based off some of those studies. But I think that would be an interesting way of using, using that data. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think these are, these are things that the, every advance lets you start getting into more and more of this stuff. So it's a good point to bring up. I think that analytics is usually just used to, to, as this like umbrella term as, Hey, this is what the numbers say. Go for it a fourth down, go for it a two points, whatever it is. But actually, I mean, all analytics is, is discerning patterns from data, which is a, what football people have been doing since the start of, you know, since Paul Brown, right? But maybe before, right. just tape cut-ups, that's analytics. What, what can we, what patterns can we discern? What tendencies can we find from a team's tape from watching them in previous games? That's analytics. All it is is digitizing it and creating it in a, um, an easier accessible way and all those kinds of things. So fourth down decisions, in-game management, those are one branch of it, but so is stuff like this. And the more granular the data, the more um, things that are quantifiable, the, the more you're going to be able to start playing around with things like this. NFL podcast at pff.com. That's the email address. We had somebody ask it in the chat. We appreciate everybody sending those emails. NFL podcast at pff.com. And we'll look through them. And sometimes they spur a great conversation like this, Sam. That was a good one from uh, Connor Galvin there. Yeah. Um, we also, one more before we get to the wide receiver stuff. We got an email from a guy called Florian from Austria um, mm. who sent us a bunch of questions. But the one I think that's worth talking about now with the news that Tom Brady has retired. And by the way, I, the man screwed me again. I got that wrong. And you, you got it right. Now, you didn't bet on it. You critically did not bet lunch on it, despite being goaded into. So you don't get lunch out of it. But you were right. I was wrong. Um, Are we auto bet on Brandon Graham somehow? Yes, because that's a bet that already exists. It's like a standing bet until told otherwise. This was I literally sat there and said, do you want to bet on this? And you said, no. Like somebody go find the receipts. That's that's on tape. Yeah, somebody Um, dig that up. I I probably said maybe. No, no, you didn't. You said no. You refused to bet on it. In fact, anyway, with the, news, retire, with the news that Tom Brady has retired, uh, essentially, what, how do you go about rebuilding and sustaining success for Tampa Bay? Like a team that went from, you know, an average to mediocre team roster situation, Tom Brady ro- rolls in, immediate Super Bowl, you know, contender to repeat, and then does that all disappear? How do you, get, how do you maintain that and not watch the whole thing just collapse around him? Well, uh, the easiest the easiest path to do that would be to trade for Aaron Rodgers. Wow, I'm just saying, like it's it's going to be a challenge, obviously. Um, and I think part, you know, this probably went a little bit into Tom Brady's decision. So a year ago at this time, on paper, the Super Bowl champion Bucks had some work to do to keep their team together, mm-hmm. right? And they did it. it. Amazingly, brought every starter back, every coach, the whole deal. Uh, every significant player, and they brought them all back. It took a little bit of work, right? They had free agents. They had franchise tags. They had all this stuff, but they got Shaq Barrett. They got Chris Godwin. They got everybody. 
So now, as you look forward to 2022, you don't have a quarterback. Chris Godwin, one of the top free agents available, even though, you know, even though he's hurt. Two-fifths of your offensive line, which has been incredibly healthy over the last two years, ironically, until the very last game. Ryan Jensen at center, Alex Kappa at guard. Both of those guys are free agent, free agents. Your top two running backs, Leonard, well, two running backs, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones are free agents. And then on the defensive side of the ball, defensive line, Ndamukong Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, William Golston, Steve McClendon. So there's a lot. Jordan Whitehead at safety, Carlton Davis at corner, and there's others. So there's a lot of work to do on this roster, which was one of the better rosters in the NFL, plus had elite quarterback play in Brady. So I think the rest of the roster takes a hit this offseason unless they hit in the draft. They're also on the lower end of just having cap space and, you know, draft capital as far as, you know, compared to other teams around the NFL. So you got to figure out the quarterback situation first, obviously. Beyond that, I would expect the roster to take a little bit of a hit. You keep some of these guys. Some of them are going to walk. I I could see Godwin perhaps being gone and, and getting a big payday somewhere. And you have to figure out who wide receiver two is opposite that. Oh, by the way, Gronk, too, most likely yeah. Not only a free agent, but probably just going to retire, right? So there's a lot of work to do, but I think it starts at the quarterback position. Kyle Trask, they got him as a developmental player, not necessarily the guy that's going to step in right now. So you're, either, you know, I think if they're going to first in the short term, if they're going to maintain status as you know, top of the NFC South and near the top of the NFC, I think it starts with like a power move like an Aaron Rodgers or, you know, Deshaun Watson or whatever. If that move isn't made, you might be starting a little bit of a build it back up, rebuild in uh, in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think what we're going to see is the power that Tom Brady had in retaining the players on the roster. Like last season, the run it back campaign of free agency that they had where they were able to re-sign every single starter and coaches and every single significant member or reason that they got to and, and won a Super Bowl came back. I mean, that doesn't happen if Tom Brady isn't there, right? Like that happened because everybody wanted to do to, to win another ring. Everybody wanted to repeat. Everyone wanted to chase that championship again and go down in history. Now that selling point isn't there. So you have to retain those guys essentially on merit. And by merit, I mean money. So if you're not going to offer those guys the contract that they're going to get on the open market, I think very few of them are going to want to resign in a situation that is no longer a guarantee of success, that is a championship awaiting. So you're going to lose some guys. You're In particular, you're, as you said, you're immediately losing Gronk, who's just attached to Tom Brady and is retiring or playing with Brady. And even with Brady, it didn't sound like it was a lock. Gronk was coming back. So he's gone. Um, you already lost Antonio Brown, obviously, earlier in the, the season. It's going to be a challenge for this Tampa Bay roster to maintain any kind of uh, group that they had given the, the losses. The other thing is, like, so you can maybe offset that if you make an early aggressive move for a quarterback, if you do do something like a trade for an Aaron Rodgers or get that in place. Uh, maybe that is enough to, to retain a guy like Chris Godwin or whatever. The other thing, though, is if you're not going to turn the keys over to Kyle Trask now, like he's he was a wasted draft pick, right? Like there's nothing – either he's starting now or he's never starting. 
like you're not going to come back to this in a couple of years and say, all right, now it's your time to shine. You drafted this guy. Obviously, he was a backup and potential successor to Tom Brady. Well, that time is now. Tom Brady's gone. You need a successor. If it, wa- if it isn't Kyle Trask, that pick was a complete and total waste of time. Unless all you got out of that draft pick, essentially, was the roll of the dice that Kyle Trask might be good. And you've decided already that he isn't without really seeing him play. So that, I think, is an interesting dynamic that if he's ever going to be a starter, it's going to happen now. Yeah, I don't know how he handled uh, the system. The Arian system is interesting, too. Bruce Arians, by the way, um, we'll see what happens with Byron Leftwich. If Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator, is gone, Bruce Arians is calling the plays. And Arians is, you know, Brady was less aggressive throwing the ball down the field this year, either because there was just more comfort level, he had more control, whatever it was. But Bruce Arians likes to chuck the ball down the field. Uh, Kyle Trask doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. He can make the throws, I guess, you know, in this system, but he's not like the perfect on paper fit for what they do in Tampa Bay. So, you know, I'd be interested even in like a Derek Carr, if he becomes available, new regime, does Josh McDaniels look at that and say, yep, I definitely want Derek Carr or is Derek Carr, you know, going to have a fresh start somewhere. I do think that would be interesting. Uh, and I don't want to say the Bucks have this like terrible roster, by the way, right. you know, they have done Jason lights done a really good job. It wasn't just Tom Brady that came over. I mean, to win the super bowl, they drafted Tristan Wirfs at right tackle in 2020 rookie Tristan Wirfs, rookie Antoine Winfield, right? Right tackle and safety, two positions that were massive needs for this team that off season. And they filled them with first and second round talents, right? Uh, their secondary got completely rebuilt. Um, the previous years leading up to Brady getting there with also Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean, they've done a pretty good job of drafting, right? So I think getting back to that, getting back to building through the draft, um, not that you just bank on hitting on picks, but they have, they do have a good history there. They do. Yeah. Um, the problem is going to be that you're not getting those like Tom Brady boost additions like Gronk or like Antonio Brown anymore, but yeah, they can, they're probably a better roster overall than when than before Brady, than the Jameis Winston era Tampa Bay. I think that's a reasonable thing to say. But it, yeah. it does become very difficult to maintain any kind of success without him. Like, you're going to need to have a decent draft, have a decent free agency period, and then you have to find an answer a quarterback. And if that isn't an established, <clears throat> if that isn't an established veteran like Aaron Rodgers, you have to hope that Kyle Trask is amazing or that you – have a much better roster than you had before Brady arrived because you need to go from where you were then, which was what, nine and seven that year, to yeah. back to the seven playoffs. And nine, seven and nine. So you have to go yeah. from like that, you know, 500 in and around level. You have the, the difference between that and where you are now needs to be the roster that you constructed with Brady there. It needs to be the Tristan Wirfs and the Antoine Winfields of the world. And that is asking a lot. The other interesting dynamic here is just the NFC South as a whole, right? You've got the Saints, uh, you know, Sean Payton's retired or, you know, not coaching for the year. They also don't have a quarterback. The Carolina Panthers, they don't have a quarterback. They still have Sam Darnold, you know, penciled in as the starter for next year. The Falcons have an aging Matt Ryan and they're in the middle. So they're in the middle of a rebuild with Arthur Smith. We're heading into year three with, with Matt rule in Carolina. I mean, until we figure out what the Bucks actually are, this could be, look like the NFC East of a couple of years ago, where a 500 record might be good enough to uh, to win the division, unless there are some major advances in either Atlanta, Carolina, or the Saints. You know, seeing what they do as their 
their usual on paper salary cap number and they have to, you know, figure out their roster. Uh, you know, if it could just be a down year in this division, which makes it intriguing for the Bucs, perhaps for a Derek Carr ish type of type of quarterback. Could you plug him in with with Mike Evans, who's still there? Right. You still have a Mike Evans, still have Cameron Bright. You have three fifths of your offensive line. If you view it through that lens, it might not be, you know, as bad. Yeah, but like you're back to that kind of world of like, what does that get you? Like, okay, this year it might get you to the playoffs, but okay, <laughs> and what's the point? Are you going to win once you get there? Like that's that's this weird landscape we're in right now, um, where like being good just sort of puts you in the position to get your ass kicked in the playoffs and get bounced by one of these great quarterbacks, right? If you now, okay, the NFC is easier across the board. Certainly Brady's gone. Um, if Aaron Rodgers maybe leaves, whether he leaves the the game or the, the conference, potentially, like if he goes to Denver or whatever, all of a sudden the NFC landscape is actually pretty bereft of elite quarterbacks. So maybe you look at that. But generally speaking, you could, you could stumble your way to the playoffs because the NFC South is so weak. But then once you get there, at some point you're going to have to face these teams that are actually contending for a Super Bowl. And that is unlikely to be you if you're just if you're just good enough to get there because the rest of your division sucks. True. So it's, it's uh, I mean, I would I would treat it like a rebuild here, man. I mean, I think, you know, the senior bowl is happening right now. Uh, all of the top quarterbacks minus Matt Corral are, are down there. Yep. And they're, you know, as as we speak, it's rainy and windy and they're, you know, testing their arm strength and grip strength and little hands with double jointed thumbs and all that stuff. They're getting, it's all tested out right now, Sam. Yeah. Look at you. It's still with the, you, you try and you've tried what? to become a little hand guy and then the slander, it just, it's, it just bubbles to the surface. You know, you Sorry. can't, can't hide it. You can't hide. What a nine inch think. hand guy has started two of the last four Super Bowls. You can't hide Jared. your true feelings about the small handed people. Jared Goff and Joe Burrow. Uh, I'll tell you what, Carson Strong the uh, big arms quarterback from Nevada actually looks like a uh, a Bruce Arians type of fit. I don't know if you would get him at the back end of the first round, but maybe another second round flyer if that makes sense for them. He does have a really good arm pocket movement. Not as good as the other quarterbacks in this draft, but um, he might be an intriguing Bruce Arians type of player. Also, we don't know how long Bruce Arians is going to be coaching yeah. here. It's not like he's here for the next five years likely. Um, it could be a lot of turnover here in Tampa Bay soon. And that's one of the reasons I think people are talking about them potentially being aggressive and going for a, an Aaron Rodgers or whatever, because like, clearly, what is he, 69 years old? Bruce Arians doesn't want to start over and rebuild from scratch with, uh, with nobody at quarterback. So your options are essentially Kyle Trask is amazing and you're happy to turn the keys over to him after his year of development and think he'll be a, a legit quarterback going forward. And, you know, Arians thinks he can win with that Two, go trading for an Aaron Rodgers or somebody that, you know, is elite and will immediately just replace Brady as a catalyst to make this team a Super Bowl contender or like three. I'm out. <laughs> what else is like? He doesn't want to do anything else. He doesn't want a Derek Carr and try and like muddle through this thing just because the the NFC South and the NFC generally is bad enough that that might get you, you know, bumbling your way to a Super Bowl and then hope that, you know, in any given Sunday, you can beat the juggernaut from the AFC that rolls in. Uh, and he doesn't want to, like, start from scratch and try and find, like, I, I would imagine those are the two things that keep Arians in town. Otherwise, otherwise Arians might be out of there as well. Yeah, it'll be an interesting offseason, I think, for the Bucks. You know, you look at 
what they've done. They did a really nice job of building that roster ready. They, they pounced when Brady was available, got their championship competed for another one. And then it might be, might be rebuild time for that organization. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. No Valentine's day. It's right around the corner. Our sponsors, manscapes. They're here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust manscapes, the leaders in below the belt grooming, with our exclusive offer, you go to manscapes.com and use the promo code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? The performance package 4.0 for Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. We've been here since the 1.0. The 4.0, it's like four times better than what it used to be. And they want to propose making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with them? It's one holiday men and women can get behind. Manscaped creating their products. They created their products for a night like this. They'll make your V-Day date say, quote, wow, great set of balls you have there. That's, that's what it says. Is that a guarantee? Oh, it's a guarantee. You get 20% off and free shipping from the code, promo code PFF at manscapes.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscapes.com. Use the promo code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Thought that was smooth. That yeah, was yeah, nice work. We've had feedback. People are people are buying. Excellent. Or at least considering. <laughs> at least considering. They're in there. How's Tyler doing? By the way, we check in on Tyler. Tyler's kind of man down. I mean, look, I I had a little, I had a little bit more of the jerky while you were reading the uh, the manscape read. I think that stuff's nice. All right, so you just have a different level here. So, like, if I had done this live on the show, I would have been done. I don't know. What's he doing? I think it's fine. Tyler was saying he couldn't breathe out without his mouth hurting. So, I mean. Yeah, that sounds significant. <laughs> take from that what you will. <laughs> I'm not like, so there are people that, that do not feel the, like the, the effect of chili heat, you know, whatever that capsaicin, um, whatever that reaction is. There are people that literally don't feel it and they can go up to like, you know, chili stalls that are selling these like hottest peppers in the world type of deal. And just start munching down on those things and be like, I, I don't feel anything. What's like, what's the deal? I can't do that. Like if I, if I bit into a Carolina Reaper, I imagine that would be tremendously painful. Like I've, I've eaten other chilies that have been very hot and it's not been that fun. So I think that the, that the, uh, the Reaper jerky is not that harsh, which leads me to suspect that Tyler is just, you know, kind of... Kind of, I'm trying to think of a politically correct word to use, but you know, you know, you know, that's what he is. He just said, why don't you rub some in your eyes, really test it out. Yeah, well, that's like, hmm. I mean, no, <laughs> I'm not an idiot. Well, debatable. All right, let's get to this wide receiver discussion. Where'd this come from? Uh, another email. Uh, this one from somebody called Chisholm Lane, I think. Uh, hey, guys, I was hoping to learn more about the difference between production responsibility and grades from when a receiver moves from being number two into being a number one. Uh, who are the receivers that have successfully made that transition, who haven't, and out of the current number twos in the league, who is uh, most well-equipped to be a top receiver if they ever moved somewhere else? T. Higgins uh, plays great alongside Jamar Chase, made me wonder how different his play would be without Chase. So I think this is interesting to talk about it a little bit generally and to kind of spin forward and use this draft group of quarter, uh, draft group of receivers 
kind of put some context into the differences between the various wide receiver positions because that's another thing that you know gets thrown around a lot and never necessarily explained like an X receiver uh, all those kinds of things so have at it well do you want to just start by defining X receiver Z receiver and that whole deal yeah yeah let's start with that so your so your X receiver that is generally called your number one the guy that usually gets that number one label is the guy who you're, you're the X receiver because you have to line up on the line of scrimmage. When you're on the line of scrimmage, the defensive back can be right on top of you and, and you have to play more press, right? So that's your, your old like Calvin Johnson role. I mean, that is, that is the guy that is either often isolated one-on-one and say you have trips to one side, three receivers on one side, and he's the guy on the backside all by himself. Um, and he faces more press. He's the guy that, you know, historically people think, well, this is your this is your number one. This is your the guy that you pay a lot of money to. Uh, this is the guy that uh, when he is on the side by himself, maybe he's going to, you know, get double coverage. He's going to get a bracket. He's going to get a corner in his face and a safety over the top, um, which which limits the route tree that you're that you're able to to run. So that's your X. Your Z receivers generally freed up a little bit more. He's going to be in motion a little bit more. He'll line up, say, more to the tight end side, which means he can motion in and out. He could. He, uh, a lot of teams will use their Z receiver more from tighter splits. When you have tighter splits, you have more. It's essentially like even within a two receiver set, it's essentially like playing in the slot, right? Because you get to uh, you have more room to run in and run out. Your Z receiver is going to work the the middle of the field a little bit more, and they're more likely in three wide receiver sets to find themselves lining up in the slot where again, it's no knock on slot receivers. It's just from a production standpoint, it's a, it's an easier place to put up production historically because you can either hide from top corners a little bit or, um, you know, just, you just kind of get away and get schemed open a little bit more. Yeah. Like really, I think the big difference between the two is that that X X receiver is going to have to deal with press coverage. And if you can't deal with press coverage, like that is the thing that's going to prohibit you from, from having that role, generally speaking, like those are the guys that are the complete number one wide receiver, the guy that can do everything, the you know the, the typical number one kind of superstar. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that, right? It just has to be that that guy is able to deal with press coverage if and when it arises because he's likely to see it. So what you do see sometimes is X receivers being played by guys that don't have the complete number one skill set, but do have the ability to defeat press at the line and become like a deep threat. Um, so when you start looking at like some of these uh, the receivers in the draft, you're not necessarily just asking, you know, do, does is this guy's value determined by the fact that he has this elite number one complete skill set that can do everything? He's got the size, the speed, the hands, the quickness, the route running, all the things put together, but. Like, does he have the ability to defeat press coverage and, you know, run vertically out of that alignment? Because that can be enough to be an X receiver, even if... And that's why the it's not necessarily interchangeable, right? X and Z is not necessarily just number one, number two, because it doesn't always work like that. Yeah, what are... Um, as I'm watching receivers, Sam, I th- so I think receiver is one of the interesting positions where there are elements of PFF data that are really good for projecting receivers or certain positions. There's other elements that maybe aren't as good receiver always feels like one of those positions where I think a player's skill set, his traits, whatever you want to call it 
really do matter. Like understanding the skill set is as important, if not more, than just raw production, right? Especially when you're projecting a player from college to the NFL. You don't just you obviously don't just take the best receivers in college statistically and they're the best in the NFL all the time, right? Uh, are, are there any certain traits and, and things that you're looking for in a receiver? Because it's always just such a fascinating position to me where I feel like you just kind of know it when you see it, but there's so many good looking college receivers through the years who are big and fast and, and they just don't work out in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, um, who was it? Marcus, uh, Mosher, Mosher. How do you, how's that guy's name pronounced? Let's go Mosher. Okay. Marcus Mosher. Uh, posted a list of receivers that have um, – there's been six wide receivers in NFL history. Now, technically, there might have been a few more that sort of made it to the NFL but not into the NFL, if you get my meaning. You know, guys that, like, landed on a roster but never made a game type of thing that have weighed 230 pounds or more and run sub 4-5 in the 40. That list is Calvin Johnson, Andre Johnson, Chase Claypool, Vincent Jackson – Darren Waller was he came out as a wide receiver before moving to tight end, and Doriel Green Beckham, right? And the chances are that Traylon Burks, the Arkansas wide receiver, is going to be the seventh guy to fit that that list. Um, and then if you broaden it to guys who are two twenty five, that gets DK Metcalf into the discussion as well. But the point is, it's like it's five, six, you know, really, really good receivers, and then Doriel Green Beckham. Like, what is the thing that separates Doriel Green Beckham from, like, these superstars, given that essentially the other, like, the, the height, weight, size, all that kind of stuff, the athleticism profile said that he should have been amazing and just wasn't. Uh, and that, I think, is a consistently difficult thing to nail down for wide receivers. There are, guy, there are guys that have all the athleticism in the world and just do not pan out for whatever reason. And some, it's going to be a different reason every time. You know, it's not going to be one thing that always holds these guys back. But that, I think, just sort of highlights how inexact a science this is, that even things that you think are like perfect, oh, we just get a guy that checks these boxes, we're, we're sorted, we're, we're nailed, that guy's going to be great. And then there's always one guy that just ruins it. And you're like, well, <laughs> how do we know we're not getting that guy again? It's Doriel Green Beckham. Man, he was supposed to be special. I remember there was a day, it yeah. might have been 2011, 12, so right around there. It was the first day of the NFL playoffs, so it's wild card round. And it was, I think, Green Beckham was playing in the All-American game in high school. And then later that day, I think Andre Johnson was playing, and then Calvin Johnson was playing. It was almost like this, you know, three slightly different generations. You know, they were a few years apart. Three, like, stud prototype receivers. You just mentioned how they're all in the same bucket, right? And one was in high school. Calvin was in the middle of his career, and Andre was closer to the end of his career and they're all on it was all on NBC too I think uh, all in a row and I remember watching that and that Green Beckham was supposed to be that next guy he went to Missouri and then he went to Oklahoma I believe right and it just did not did not pan out there's always something there was something missing with his game right whether because he had had freak catches and athleticism he had had highlight real plays but his consistency consistency just wasn't there compared to a guy like a Calvin or an Andre Johnson or some of the other guys that you had mentioned. And even then, because of those measurables and the size, there were people that thought he was going to be amazing in the NFL as well. Like, he'd be a better NFL player than he was a college player. And again, it just, it just didn't happen. Um, but when you, when you spin that forward, I think 
like the first thing I always look for for a receiver is can he run routes and can he separate? Because I think that I think that gives you the highest floor of any receiver, particularly like if we're talking first rounders. Like once you get outside of the first round, you start looking at development and all those kinds of things. But if you're looking at I'm drafting a wide receiver in the first round. I, I need that guy not to be bad. Like, that's the first thing, right? I, I need a guy that I'm guaranteed is going to come in and make an impact because the chances are you're drafting a wide receiver in the first round because your receiving core is useless and you need somebody to come in and just prop it up and give you some kind of level of production. So the first thing you want to see, I think, is route running and their ability to separate because that's going to give you the best picture on any given play. It's going to get you targets. It's going to get the quarterback looking in your direction because you're getting open. You're separating. Um, then I think you start to say, well, what on, t- on top of that, what does he bring to the table? And that's why, you know, when you had the Jerry Judy versus CeeDee Lamb conversation, I think Jerry Judy was a better route runner, and I was much more confident that that would translate immediately. But – like if you're looking at the value add stuff, the physicality, the play at the catch point, all those kinds of things, now you're saying, well, Lamb can do a few more things than Judy. So you you have more confidence that Judy will translate immediately and be um, will get open and will will have production because of that. But if you want to turn into the next superstar, right? If that guy wants to be a top five receiver, he needs to be able to do some of the other things as well. And that's where CeeDee Lamb had, had the upside, had the, the capacity to just be more. And that, I think, is, is where you start to get into these conversations with the receivers in, in any given draft class. And this draft class is no different. Which guy, like, which guy immediately ticks the box of he'll be, he'll be pretty good, like he'll be successful. And then, okay, now to start separating the top guys in this draft class, like which are the guys that bring some special value add on top of that? The NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. You get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. I hope everybody submitted their questions because we're giving away that game day feast. All thanks to our friends over at Western and Southern. Uh, the other, the other part of this wide receiver discussion, Sam, I think that's a, it's a good one. Like I, you're, you're going to say this and I don't want to like tell you that we're going to repeat ourselves a lot. Like people listen to us. We're going to discuss receivers, the draft and the whole thing. And sometimes we say the same stuff a lot. But getting open is probably the most important thing, right, for a receiver. That's where you start. I think it makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's um, the first thing you want to see. Like if, if you if – you, if it's, ch- it's a box check, right? If you can't get open, then you have – like your chance of succeeding at the next level is really, really small. It's not to say that it, it literally can't happen. There are guys that have succeeded that have not been good separators. But – at that point, you're chasing the exception, right? You're chasing the guys that don't fit the profile. And every now and again, you're going to have an exception come along. But if you start like, if you start looking for those guys, that's when you run off the rails and you just start making bad decisions left and right. So like, the first box to check is, does that guy separate well? Because if he doesn't, 
now you're into the Nikhil Harry territory, and you're like, that guy needs to be a superstar at everything else to overcome the fact that he's never going to be open. And every single pass you throw in his direction is going to be a contested target. Now, that doesn't mean that just because he can separate, he's going to be amazing, but it's literally like the first thing that you're going to need. So here's my other question, and the thing I do bring up every single year. Receiver is one of the positions where the weaknesses matter. You just mentioned Nikhil Harry and separating. Weaknesses matter, yes. But it's one of the positions where a team can put a receiver in position to only, you know, to only really focus on his strengths, to accentuate what he does extremely well. Because again, in today's NFL, you need three or four wide receivers uh, within a given game or at any given time, plus depth, right? These guys can contribute because you have certain players who are going to be asked to just create after the catch more. Not, not that that's the only thing you do, but you, you have, if, you're a, if you're an after-the-catch creator, there's room for you within a, an offensive system, right? If you're just a downfield threat, if you're just a speed guy, if you're uh, just an X or just a Z type, uh, there's room for you within an offense. And, and that's why I think the idea of saying, is this guy a number one wide receiver? And, and that's the guy that you have to get in the first round. Well, the difference between what, you, what the NFL would call a number one receiver and a number two receiver, it might be significant, but I don't think you need to be a true number one to be a first round pick, right? When we go back and say, who are the true number ones? Who are the guys that, let me add to that definition too. It's not just the X receiver. It's the guy that you know is getting the ball, Right. When you're watching the Rams right now, Cooper Cup, who's not their ex receiver, you know he's getting the ball on third down. Right. You know Devontae Adams is getting the ball on third down. Right. You know that they're getting the ball in crunch time. There's maybe 20 of those guys in the NFL, I would say. But obviously, receivers 21 through 60 are really, really good and are incredibly valuable. And I think you, you, the key there is, is finding out what that skill set is where a guy's really good and where they can help a team and not shine away from the fact that maybe they're not a top 20 receiver, but being 21 to 60 is still extremely valuable and stays NFL. Yeah, and it also shows how important the situation is, right? If you're put in the right role within an offense, you can still be incredibly productive, which increases your value. So Cooper Cup is a great example. Cooper Cup did not go in the first round, but if you watched his college tape, you know, Eastern Washington, so he wasn't in – the highest he wasn't playing at the highest level every time he did though he torched the the high level competition he was playing like he put up 250 yards or whatever against Oregon when they stepped up and played a, a Pac-12 team and every time you watch Cooper Cup you were like that guy is is going to be good um when he and then he gets he gets drafted but you have to sort of look at the situation the Rams put him in and allow him to thrive within that situation and say all right if you've taken Cooper Cup and basically said, you are now the X receiver. You have to do everything as that number one defeat press coverage every single snap. Could he do it? Would he be successful? Yeah, sure. But would he be as good as he is right now? No. So the situation that he's in and that that allows him to maximize his impact is what makes him as valuable as where you, could, as where you would potentially redraft him. And then we've had these conversations as well with guys that are like 100% slot receivers. You know, if you had... If you had the next Wes Welker or Julian Edelman or whoever the, that elite slot guy is, is that guy worth a first-round draft pick, right? If you knew that you had this guaranteed chain mover every third down, every third and five, you just send him you know, over the middle, 
potentially, right? But you need to put him in the right situation, the right offense that has that role in order to maximize that. Now, some teams don't have that. They're, they just don't want a guy like that. And then there's the question of, well, how close can you get with the next best guy? But situation is a huge part of, of determining the success of all these wide receivers and the role that they're going to be in within any offense they get selected to. So again, when you're looking at this group of receivers in this draft, you have to think, what is their skill set? What is the position that they should play? Like, what is their best position? And how much is that worth in a vacuum? And then the added part of that is, well, in the right system, like in the right situation, the right role, and the right offense, how much does that make him worth then? Because there are going to be teams out there that value these guys completely differently based off the offense they run and the position that they have. And, you know, when you're looking at mock drafts and one of them has a guy that you think is way worse than that and they have him like 20 spots higher in the mock draft, part of that can be because for that specific team, he's worth 20 spots higher than for everybody else. Uh, part of the question that uh, was posed there too, Sam, was who are the number twos that could potentially become number ones? And, and again, the, the question was about like, what's the difference, right? I, I think one of the best examples there was Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster a few years back with the Steelers, right? Antonio Brown, 1,500-yard season, a true number one because he just wins. He just gets open, wins down the field, every level of the field, wins after the catch, all of it. And Juju Smith-Schuster had a really good rookie season. They put him in the slot. He was a vertical slot. He was open a lot. He was just a great complimentary piece. And that's not a, that's not a knock. He was the number two option that year. And when he became the number one option, and you might have seen a few better corners, rolled coverage, fewer pl- plays in the slot where there's more room to work, the production just wasn't there. Uh there might be some other players around the league where that's where that's similar, right? Like Mike Williams is a free agent for the Chargers this year. You know, he's he's always had Keenan Allen, right, as as a as a running mate. Uh, Corey Davis last year I thought was a great example, right? A classic number two. He's on a team. I love Corey Davis. I did, but he was a number two. He's a number two receiver. He's with AJ Brown, who's uh, you know top ten number one receiver opens things up for everybody. And you have Derrick Henry who defenses are accounting for, and you have a play action, heavy system. Corey Davis ate because of that in 2020 with the Titans and the jets paid him like a number one. And all of a sudden there's a ton of pressure on him to do something that he, he, it's probably not his best, you know, it's probably not for him. So what are your thoughts on that in those particular examples? Or do you see any other guys that are number twos? that, you know, could be true number ones. Well, one, one guy that's kind of interesting is um, Michael Gallup, who's going to be a free agent this year. Now, Michael Gallup actually plays a, an amount of X receiver for Dallas, right? They move Amari Cooper around. They move C.D. Lamb around. Uh, Michael Gallup is the one guy that stays on the outside and wins, um, r- wins on the perimeter, not from the slot. Now, Gallup, this is why it's not always exactly the same thing, X receiver versus number one, number two. Gallup is, at best, their number two receiver, right? Amari Cooper would be the number one. Sometimes CeeDee Lamb is the guy. Amari, or, uh, Michael Gallup generally would be their number two receiver. But there's also a bunch of tape of him playing X receiver and like absolutely wrecking guys like Jalen Ramsey on the outside. He can win against press coverage. He can win against number one corners. He can win on the perimeter. So he can, he can do the things that number one wide receivers have to do 
just potentially not as often or not as consistently as some of those other guys. But he's likely going to get paid because of that versatility or the skill set that he has to be able to win from those X alignments that not everybody can do. And Gallup could actually be a guy that, like, maybe he doesn't become a true number one himself, but he can actually take some of the roles and responsibilities of that number one and enhance the play of, like, an incumbent number one or a guy that becomes a number two in, in ways because Gallup has taken some of that pressure off him, right? Like, that would be one interesting move. Um, I had another one that I was thinking of as well. Oh, so Stefan Diggs. You remember back at the Vikings when Diggs was getting upset at the workload and stuff, and there was debate as to which was the better receiver. Was it Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen? Um, and they kind of had a very even split of workload and all those kinds of things. Now, Diggs was still the guy that was playing a lot of X receiver there as well, so he was in that role more. But he went to Buffalo and became, like, obviously the undisputed number one in that offense, gets a ton more targets, and just got a chance to step up and show that everything he was doing there, like on a bit part basis, he could do as a full-time, like full workload, uh, true number one the whole way. Yeah, one, uh, one of the, I was going to bring up his teammate, actually, Gabriel Davis, now, as his, not to overreact to his Jerry Rice game, but with his size, his game speed, the way he plays on the field, is Gabriel Davis eventually going to be that guy that's like, man, he went from a, a four to a three to a two, but he's actually got number one type of potential. He does have that skill set. He's got a, this incredible combination of route running, size, speed that you know usually see from from high volume types of options. I think Gabriel Davis's development in year three is going to be fascinating to see if he starts to put himself into that echelon of receiver. Yeah. Um, I just want to spin it forward for the last couple of minutes and just talk about the the draft class of wide receivers that we've got at the moment because the upcoming one is actually a really interesting group of of players. There probably isn't anybody in this class that you look at and you say they're on the level of Jamar Chase. And now, to be fair, who is? You know what I mean? Like this was a guy that was was one of the best prospects to come along in a long time, and obviously he then came in and – absolutely torch the league and set records and all those kinds of things. So if you're looking for the next Jamar Chase, it's probably a bad exercise to begin with. But you've got you've got every kind of size and shape of receiver, right? You've got these guys that are more smaller um, kind of guys that win with route running and speed and savvy and those kinds of things. You've got downfield burners like Jamison Williams from uh, Alabama, the guy that tore his ACL in the national title game. Jameson Williams, when healthy, absolutely the most explosive receiver in this class. Right. Sorry, carry on. And then you've got more, you've got guys that are built more on sort of size and freakish athleticism. We already talked about Traylon Burks from Arkansas, who is likely to put himself in that rare air of, of just giant receivers that run really fast. Um, and you see that on his tape the whole way. Then you've got, and you've got guys like Drake London from USC, who. It's a kind of weird body type of just all legs and arms, but is another guy that's big that wins with contested catch skills, but gets open as well. Like so, making sense of all those different skill sets and sort of ordering them um, in draft rankings. A is an interesting exercise to begin with, but B, like the point I was making earlier, it's going to be a different order for different teams depending on what it is you need, what it is you you covet and the kind of role that you have earmarked within your offense. Like, every team shouldn't have these guys ranked the same way. And and how your quarterback plays. 
right? If you have a big six foot five Drake London and a quarterback that's a little bit more conservative, that's not going to, you know, throw the ball up for a big dude to go get it might not be the best fit. Or if you do, you, you were always made the point about Tua needing guys who are Bama open. What, what better way to get people Bama open than to draft Bama receivers that know how to get open with size speed and uh, usually with speed and uh, quickness and route running. So I think that's a huge factor. I want Ohio State open, though. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson currently number one on the PFF draft board, 10th overall, number one receiver, 10th overall on the board. Slick route runners, those dudes just know how to get open. You mentioned London and Traylon Burks as more of your, your bigger receivers. You're right. I mean, it's a really good mix. I think it's six total receivers that we have in the top 28 so far in the PFF draft board. So there are some receivers to take a look at in the draft as far as, you know, either number one options or complimentary pieces. Yeah, I still need to watch a lot of tape on some of these guys, but I really liked Garrett Wilson just from Justin Fields' tape. Like when we were watching Justin Fields play, and at that point, Chris Olave was the guy that was getting all the hype and the, the guy that was supposed to be the number one receiver coming out of that, or that um, group, that offense. But Garrett Wilson was the guy that was flashing more from Justin Fields' tape for me and that's kind of the way it's been over the last 12 months. They've, they've reversed in terms of order uh, on a lot of draft boards. Wilson, I think, is a really fascinating guy. But then I also love the potential of a guy like Traylon Burks. And, and Drake London does have that really unusual body type and skill set. And, and again, gets open. Like He's a guy that I think will not get enough credit for how much he does actually go to the right place, beat man coverage, find space in zones. Because he was such a contested catch monster, he's gonna. That'll be the thing that people lead off with. But I, I think it probably does him a disservice. The other guy to potentially keep an eye on George Pickens from Georgia just kind of showed up again in the national championship game after tearing his ACL in the spring. He's in like a handful of snaps this year. Sixty-three snaps. He had a highlight reel, pointing at defenders, taunting, incredible diving catches. He's he's got the pedigree and size and athleticism. And this is what's intriguing, right? I think every team should be trying to get four deep at that receiver position, attack it with, uh, what did he say? Tenacity unknown to mankind. The uh, potential next head coach of the uh, Minnesota Vikings, Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh likes to say. That's That's how you attack the receiver position. That's tenacious. Um, Also, remember, we've got the senior bowl going on now, so there's going to be the guy. There's going to be the guy that I have to connect which hitch my wagon to that dominates the senior bowl every year. Now, look, the, the run of those guys being amazing in the NFL took a little bit of a hiccup. You know, uh, Denzel Mims, it's not gone well so far for Denzel. But Terry McLaurin, you yes. had Terry McLaurin and who else? Michael Gallup was another guy that dominated yeah. during that week. There's been, a, there's been a pretty good run of people that have been really successful at the senior bowl, um, translating well to the NFL. I've only seen a little bit of the practice tape so far, but Calvin Austin from Memphis has been just nuking people with his route running and speed and just scoring all kinds of uh, touchdowns on the one-on-ones and that kind of thing. Maybe he's the guy. We'll, uh, we'll figure that out later. But he's got you know, a pretty good grade from last year, 85 receiving grade, 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. Maybe Calvin Austin's the guy. Well, look at you already jumping on. We got we got another today they're practicing. We got another day tomorrow. So there's still more time for somebody to catch your eye, Sam. Anything else for us today? No, I don't think so. That was, um, that was good. I'm going to get back to the uh, the Carolina Reaper jerky. Yeah, go finish your jerky. Give Tyler a little bit some to uh, you know to to, to wash it down. 
wash down the previous jerky. Is that how that works? No. Um, anyway, we thanks to everybody for tuning in. Don't forget, you get 25% off. We're going to change the promo code just for now. I, I assume NFL pod is still live. Try that one first. <laughs> if it doesn't work, though, you could use Super 25. You could still use Super 25 for Super Bowl a couple weeks here. Uh, 25% off any PFF subscription right now. I think they just put the draft guide out again. They did. They just had the updated version the other day. So now is the best time to get it. I would try NFL pod first. So we get proper credit. But if they disabled that for some reason, Super 25 is your 25% off promo code because I guarantee you, you will not find a draft guide. Anything like what we're putting out here at PFF we will continue to update it as we go. So appreciate everybody for tuning in, being a part of the show, donating all that money, over $15,000 across five different charity drives. And then we got to see Sam just uh, down some Carolina Reaper like it was regular jerky. So, yeah, that was that was rewarding. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, sorry, <laughs> I thought that would be more of a. I thought that would be more of a an entertaining thing. It it, it was just regular jerky that was a bit hot. Um, but listen, send us uh, send us emails and or tweets to tell us who we should be donating money to next time and the forfeits. We still need to both come up with ideas now for next week for a forfeit yeah, that I, we can do. Here's my idea: somebody needs to find something beyond the Reaper that is gonna you know make you gag or something i don't know what, what's going to get you to uh chug the milkshake in uh in horror i don't know i mean if we drag this out long enough i'm sure rick will actually dial up some proper like ridiculously hot peppers like he has carolina reaper peppers that themselves will probably do a, a job but anyway look the point is we have to come up with our own forfeit like this is the this is the jeweling charity charity drives you have to come up with something that you're going to be doing i have to come up with something that i'm going to be doing and then the people will vote for or they'll vote with their money which one is the best that's how this is going to work all right i'm starting to strategize here what's just bad enough but not too bad what's gonna what's gonna move the people here yeah we'll see all right thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll see you again tomorrow tomorrow review we review sam's mock draft we're in draft season baby let's do it see you tomorrow